course I love that mindset because now I do go things are possible. Like, so for example, the getting the governor general to be the patron. I remember when I told my board and I said, I'm going to ask the governor general to be patron. And one of the uh, board members said to me, Annie, that's not likely. We're only a little charity. And I said, well, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because you think you're a little charity, then it's not possible. But if I actually think I'm running BHP here, <laughs> you know, like I think I want to know every day that I'm doing my best best effort if it was an incredible, massive corporate. And so I'm going to just tell him, dear sir, do you want to help me save site? Why wouldn't you want to help me partner with me to, to achieve this mission? And he came back and said, I'm delighted by your enthusiasm and I'd love to help you with that. Helping CEOs and business leaders discover the energy to perform exceptional brilliance and positively impact the lives of those around them. Be inspired by world leaders, game-changing influencers and next-level gurus. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. And now your host, CEO and founder of Energy to Perform, international speaker and leadership performance coach, Craig Johns. Imagine having twins at the age of 23, and when life seemed to be going really well, you have another set at the age of 25, all while becoming one of the most influential people in corporate Australia. On this episode of the Active CEO podcast, we speak with a CEO supermum, a high achiever who's committed to serving others through her leadership as a CEO of Glaucoma Australia, coaching corporates and creating magic transformations in her lipstick consulting business. Our guest is an author in Unsung Business Heroes, Double Trouble, Double Treat, What Having Twins Is Really Like, Breaking Lifelong Barriers, Self-Care Mastery, and releasing in July 2020, Becoming Annie, The Biography of a Curious Woman. She has a Diploma of Applied Health Science Nursing from the University of Technology, Sydney, Bachelor Health Science at Southern Cross University, Graduate Diploma of Adult Vocational Education from Griffith, Griffith University, and Master of Education Vocational Education and Training from the University of Technology, Sydney. Her career has included CEO roles at the Australasian Society for Ultrasound in Medicine, Australian Institute of Ultrasound and Glaucoma Australia. I'm honoured and privileged to introduce to you Volunteer in the McGrath Foundation, an inspirational and dynamic leader, an entrepreneur who helps people produce results that matter. Annie Gibbons. Annie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's so wonderful to be here today. Yeah, it's a real pleasure to have you on, on the show and I know you're very busy getting ready for your book launch and uh, so we'll talk about that a little bit later on today. There are low achievers, middle of the pack achievers, high achievers, overachievers and then there's Annie Gibbons and I'm <laughs> really looking forward to delving into the life of becoming Annie. They say we have to go back in time to see the future. So where did you grow up and what did you dream of as a child? 
I grew up on the northern beaches of Sydney, so I'd say quite a privileged opportunity, really, you know, that I did have um, a, a really uh, solid financial uh, framework and I had all opportunities ahead of me. But I also had a very conservative uh, family who my father was a pharmacist. And so my whole childhood was that I would then become a pharmacist or at least assist him in the family business. So I was one of those uh, kids who thought I was really great at you know making things happen and and creating things I felt very creative and I felt like I had a lot of capacity and opportunity and I used to say things like I'd love to be a businesswoman or I think I'd be really great at marketing and selling things and telling everybody about things and I just got this blanket well you don't you wouldn't have the capacity for that I had very blanket statements given to me by my family you know you don't you wouldn't have the head for finance you wouldn't be able to run a company while having children and you wouldn't be able to do that because you'd be helping dad at the pharmacy and then maybe one day becoming a pharmacist for when he retired, this sort of thing. So I kind of had a default perspective of I was always going to be a pharmacist and it all sort of went crashing down, I suppose, when I was in my final year of HSC when my father had three arm robberies in his pharmacy. Wow. And it just freaked me out. I thought, oh, my gosh, I don't want to die just trying to support my father. And so... Um, what am I going to do? So I actually made uh, a crazy decision that now I look back, but at the time I thought I better go medical. So I put down nursing as a profession as opposed to just going straight for business because I didn't want to get in trouble. In hindsight, you know, nursing, anything wasn't pharmacy, so it didn't go down that well. But anyway, that's the story of my beginnings. (laughs) And, And so going into nursing, obviously you had a real sense for serving people Mm. What was it like for you to step into nursing as a career and, you know, that first time you're actually, um, you're working in that vocation? I actually loved nursing, you know, because that's right. I've always been a heart warrior. I've always loved people. I've loved, I've, I've got a very compassionate, caring nature. And so, although it wasn't my first preference, you know, I was, I'm one of these people who once you're in it, you do it to the best of your capacity. So I did love the, I love the joy of learning. There's so much to learn. I love the training and the structure, fantastic framework, becoming a nurse, uh, really helps you triage problem solving, time management. And it also just shows you how how complex people are, how complex their bodies are, um, different support systems that people have while ill, that terrible things happen to really beautiful people. Uh, And, you know, it it was certainly an amazing opportunity to become a nurse and be a nurse. And I ended up sort of taking that all the way to becoming a head teacher of a nursing school, which was amazing, showing those managerial skills coming out there. But uh, yeah, I actually do. I've I've always looked fondly back on my, you know, probably 20, 20 year career, you know, in and out of nursing. Yeah, and you obviously found the love of your life very young and you get married at the age of 20. That's right. So I met James when I was in year 12. So I was only 17 and uh, he lived around the corner, met at a party and it was just one of those, yep, fell in love straight away. And now 33 years later, still feel the same way if, and, and more. So we have been really blessed that uh, we did, um, yeah, 
even though we were young and told not to get married so so young and that young marriages will fail and all of that sort of information that people tell you, you know, it worked for us. So uh, saying that, we also invested very heavily and we've been very proactive in just supporting getting the best out of each other and, uh, you know, making each other feel comfortable to become the best people that we can be for ourselves and not compete with each other. We're both, you know, particularly having a, having a wife who's then uh, become a real career woman while having children, you know, he's always been incredibly supportive and just wants me to be happy and to make a difference my whole passion has always been I just want to make a difference I want to leave a legacy I want to feel that I've I've achieved my potential and he's been wonderfully supportive about that yeah so making a difference in your life is having your first set of twins and so how how did you manage (laughs) that and did you take a break from work or you worked all the way through Oh, crazy, crazy journey there, Craig. So here I am. Um, I've become a nurse, but I still want to be a businesswoman. And I've got all these crazy ideas like, oh, this is going to be challenging, but how am I going to make that happen? And then at 23, I'm pregnant with twins. So I had twin boys. And so I worked as a nurse until probably six months pregnant with twins. And then I had the twins and um, and obviously had time off there for um, with that. A year, I think I breastfed them for around nine to 12 months. And then uh, at 14 months, uh, I was pregnant with twins again. And so the first set of twins were very exciting. The second set of twins were, oh my gosh, you are <laughs> kidding me. This is crazy. So here I am at, yeah, 25. Um, it's still somewhere in there. I did some shifts and just sort of kept my hand in because we were also really poor. Mm. <laughs> so it was more of a necessity situation of, you know, my friends are going, how do you do that? And I'm like, well, we don't have any money, you know. So I did, you know, I did Friday night, Saturday night shifts and slept on the weekends because it was a bit more extra pay. And James helped out, obviously, with the babies. And uh, so then I had four kids. And I must admit, I had quite a few moments after that that I loved being um, a mum. And the twin time was you know babies just absolutely gorgeous but certainly had kids everywhere and had quite a few breakdowns of that you know pressure of oh my gosh how am I going to pull a rabbit out of the hat here am I actually still going to be a businesswoman how would it work Um, I've always been extremely curious hence my books coming out the the biography of a curious woman I've always had that curiosity to go hmm what is possible and what would be the way to make it happen while totally loving where you are, you know. So it's not saying that I wasn't happy with the, with the kids. I was extremely happy and they're gorgeous. And they're now 29 and 27. And um, and then five years later, we had another bubby just, just because. And um, so we ended up with five, including the two sets of twins. But around that, yeah, I then went to the next journey. I think the twins were, I think, so I had three in 24 in 26 months. And then a couple of years later, I then went back to uni uh, part-time. It was actually wonderful. It, um, so I then decided at that stage when I did nursing, I uh, the nursing was a diploma. So then I had to convert the diploma to a degree. And then after the degree, I then converted that to um, a master's of education. So in, within that next sort of five to eight years, I was back and forth at uni, which I actually loved love the learning and to be quite honest with you I love the break from the kids you know it was like that it's just so full on being a mum and so you know it was that opportunity to go oh mum has mummy has to go off to you to university and I'd go there for longer than required and I'd go and sit in a cafe and just have a little break time before class started and I love the 
the, the, the break time, a little bit of personal time. I loved the learning and I love the people. I've always been fascinated by people and the breadth of people and the people who were then in my classes and why they were wanting to do the qualifications that they were doing. Uh, and there's a big variety in what motivates people to learn and to achieve. Yeah, so you got to feel, you know, the, obviously that curious nature you talk about is kind of suits you as someone who wants to be a trainer and, and teacher. So at what point did you realize that you were a leader? Mm. I think I didn't really think of myself as a leader until I was uh, a nursing teacher. So I'd always sort of had leadership roles, I suppose, in, in different things through the end of school or through, you know, church environments or groups that we were in and so forth but I didn't see myself as a leader because I felt myself too young to be a leader you know I didn't look at the qualities of leadership and it wasn't until I became a nursing teacher and I actually realized that people were looking at me I, I, I remember reflecting back going oh my gosh they're staring at me they're waiting to go what what does Annie say they want my advice they want my support so and then I started forming views of well what is leadership oh my gosh I'm actually responsible for other people I'm advocating on their behalf I'm um, encouraging them in certain ways I'm now starting to mentor them so I started to look at leadership at the beginning I thought okay they're following me and they do what I say and then I started to develop my leadership and I got quite fascinated by leadership styles they're actually more about you know getting the very best out of the people and and encouraging them almost from behind it's like if I lead by example and then I support you sort of around the sides and and almost uplift you from the back uh it's a really great way of leading people because they they you know they learn in their own way and they feel supported in that framework uh and and it's been a, a style I've had a very hands-on um interactive style of leadership ever since so obviously set you out really really well to you know become a ceo and you know what was it like to kind of be yes teaching leading people and mentoring people which is great qualities of a ceo to actually stepping into that role and and being the person who is responsible and you know when the buck stops you've got to make the decisions yeah, such a learning curve and so scary at the beginning, to be honest. So after I got my master's of education, I got a job at the orthopedic surgeons and I was there for four years as their national manager. So once again, more fine tuning management skills. And then I, uh, my first CEO role with the, was with the Australasian College of Ultrasound in Medicine. And so all of a sudden I, ha I was, yeah, responsible as a CEO for you know everything it's that light bulb moment of oh my gosh it's the finance it's 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 the strategy it's boards it's committees it's hundreds of volunteers it's the staff it's resources and to be honest for that first few months I, I had that classic imposter syndrome of oh my gosh I hope they don't realize I don't know everything um and then also realizing you know those eyes of everyone suddenly does look for you and then well how are we going to manage it and that and the view of also demonstrating I think the change came in my leadership from knowing what people that people were looking at me and towards me and for guidance and support for themselves but also then I had an accountability as a CEO to provide supporting evidence back 
So it's not just, well, uh, you know, I'm sure we're going great and I'm telling you we're doing well. Now it was the reporting structure. We're in an evidence-based world. And so where is the strategy? How are we assessing and monitoring our goals and our results? And what does that look like? So that was a whole new level for me as well. Yeah. So if you look back now, what would be probably the, the greatest change you've made as a CEO from when you first went into that space? Oh, the biggest change now is uh, make, uh, making sure that everyone has clarity around the vision and living and breathing it and sharing that. So I've got a lot more energy and I, because I'm confident now, I've been a CEO for a good decade. And so now I am confident that I have the infrastructure in place and that we are doing what we should be doing. I have great confidence in, in, in the framework and also my abilities, which is really great. Now I feel that my change is I just live and breathe it with clarity. And so I'm able to bring a lot of people on site with that whether that's my team at the office whether it's the board committees you know for me at glaucoma australia i walk in every day and go oh my gosh we're helping australia to be free of glaucoma blindness which is our vision right i just speak it out and then throughout the day oh my gosh hashtag save site guys we're saving site every day you know what are we doing we've had such simplicity so i think my three words um, would be clarity simplicity and focus so i have real clarity about what we're trying to achieve I, I try and make that as simple as possible so that everybody just in a moment can be engaged and then we can really focus in because we've got the framework to be able to do that and everybody knows their role and also um, everyone is a part of that. So I have the real cog in the wheel, everyone's a cog in the wheel kind of uh, mindset and so with strategy for example when I first started it was what is the strategy of the organisation, what is our vision and our mission and then we all do our jobs and you know we assume it will happen now on the opposite if we have a, a a vision and a mission and that strategic direction i align it to absolutely everyone's job descriptions everybody who's in a committee everyone's in a volunteer capacity knows where they are a part of that because it gives them um it gives them ownership of it. It makes them part of it. And the engagement is just so different. I find people like, oh, yeah, like I've contributed to making that goal happen. And that's just the gold. You know, people want to know that they make a difference. It's not all about the CEO. It's actually, you know, my team make me look so much better than I am. I often tell, I tell them that because, you know, if you've got the right people and they are living and breathing and being responsible for what they're trying to, we're all trying to achieve, you know, everyone will lift. And that's what it's all about. It's about getting the best out of everybody. And so how would your husband describe your leadership style? <laughs> oh, gee, you'd have to ask him. He'd say I am a very passionate he'd say i'm a very clear passionate leader who is uh driven not for herself but to make a difference and so he would say that i uh lead by example and then support others to join me in my mission of whatever that is to be so he would say yes i have a very um engaged strong um positive leadership style that's inclusive of 
everybody who wants to come with me. And also he'd say, but if you're not in her camp, you, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to last because I am so focused. So he'll, he watches the way I operate and I go, oh my gosh, that person just doesn't seem to get it. And if that doesn't work, you know, I'm actually happy for them not to be there because I've spent in previous years, I've spent more time trying to make everybody happy or trying to get them engaged. And it's actually not right. If you're, you know, if you're in the wrong place, it's like I look back and go, if I was working in a pharmacy day in day out I would be in the wrong place it wouldn't be good for me and so I actually have a lot more confidence now of people who for some reason you know whether they join a board or join a committee or or even get get a job if it's not right for them you know if they're not engaged and not excited by what they're trying to achieve I'd rather help them find a better place to be. Uh, great response and so talking about responses you know how did your leadership style serve you when the news broke on that COVID-19 restrictions were coming into play in Australia? Hmm. My leadership style was, wow, we um, bring the team in and go, we've got, we've got a um, issue of, we've got a charity here that we thought could not be brought off site. You know, this is the way we operate. We operate in an office and, um, and, and I would have thought, you know, we couldn't all go off site. And then I said, I looked at my leadership was, okay, well, what is the risk to the employees first? You know, you obviously got health and safety. Uh, what situations are they are in? One of them's married to a health worker and had, had increased exposure. Few of them are catching public transport. They had their own anxiety. So I really wanted to tap into, well, where were they positioned and what was their situation? Uh, I also then had to look at, well, what are our um, options of moving up off-site and we're pretty much by by um i went and gave them the 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 scenario of what i wanted to have you know i went and said what the way i'm seeing covid going down is i i would like to see that this office could be off-site within two weeks and they're like wow that's impossible right and so i go well is it let's look at let's just break down all the options let's look at the staff situation let's look at what we couldn't take what could we take at home how that will work and we broke it down they all became part of it and we did it you know, and so I think that 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 style helped me because if I went and said, okay, we're all off site and, and it sort of throws people, they don't have time. Most people need more time than I do to prepare their mindset, to prepare what they need um, and to see how it will work. And um, it, it ended up being really positive. You know, our, our team, we, we set up a WhatsApp group. So we, we, we got a lot more social. We had a, a care and share session every morning, like we would, we mimicked. I said, you know, when we get to the office, we all say, hello, how was your day? you spend a little chit chat time I said we'll do that offline so I I had a zoom meeting every morning called care and share and we just chatted about non-work stuff for 10 to 15 minutes and uh, and then got into the day and I felt like they were a lot more connected I also told them you know that business is there for change so how are we going to adapt to that and so of course as the leader you know what you're wanting to do I knew that we needed to become a lot more social we needed to keep our our, our members and our people with glaucoma engaged and so you know part of that was okay some of our projects will be more challenging we're going to re rework them a little bit but we're going to increase our engagement with our people because those people are now at home they're more anxious and worried about their glaucoma for example you know am I going blind what if I can't make my appointment? And so we upped our social 
We started Facebook Lives, for example. We did more webinars. We did more social media. And so the result of it was that we actually got to the end of financial year and, and our donations did not go down, which was quite miraculous. And our numbers have have uh, continued to go up exponentially. And a lot of that, I feel, is because, you know, we're actually looking at who are we here to serve? you know, um, whatever is happening in the world. And I think that's in any business. How are we going to pivot to ensure that the people we serve, which in this case is people with glaucoma, uh, but in any other business, you know, it could be, you know, what can I take online? How can I, you know, adjust my, my service offering? How can we continue to make sure that they receive what they need at this time? And then everything else is, uh, it's a desire, you know, we're building a new website at the moment we're getting an um and we're we're working on on other projects and some of those you know have been at the top priority but during covid are they the top priority actually the people are the top priority and if they're suffering there's no point having bells and whistles if the if the core is not okay so i think it's been a good time to really uh, reassess what we do and what our priorities are and be prepared to change those even though strategy doesn't change the way we we implement does change in times of need and so how are your team coping i it's we're now or are we probably getting close to five uh, where are we four months um yeah. starting into our fifth month so we, a fair bit of time and you know a lot of talk early on around oh i'm so productive at home getting so many things done are you finding there's a fatigue now or and that people may have settled in and, and are starting to understand they need a bit of recovery time and they can't just work and sit at their desk at home for yeah. 15 hours a day? I've had the full the full range. So I've had one who couldn't wait to get back to work because that's it. She goes, I wake up and I see my laptop and my computer and I just start working and then I'm still working at six o'clock. So that view of I've never been used to how to log, you know, clock in and clock off and now my work is in my bedroom virtually. And so we had to talk through that. Others, you know, were like going, oh, I find that this lack of structure really hard and I had find it hard to focus. You know, I believe for my team, I can I can actually say they worked really hard but we had probably eight to ten weeks that we were fully remote and now we've gone back we've actually we've gone back in a whole new normal and who knows what's going to happen in another week or two but at the moment we've come back um, two to three days a week in the office and then the rest remote because I know now that our office can be fully remote and I also have got to see how different staff members have adjusted to that circumstance and so some really wanted to come back to the office but it means that I've only got half of them there so because I've staggered their days and their time um, I've got less so I can still be responsible we can not be overloading the office uh, we can have them socially distancing you know we've got the gels and the bits and pieces all at the ready we we stopped our volunteers because they were obviously um, elderly and we didn't want to put them at risk. So we've made massive changes. And then those who actually did work really well at home, you know, well, who am I to say, you know, I wanted them enough because I'm a at work because I love that strong corporate culture and the, and I'm very uh, personable. So I do love that at least three days a week at the moment, two to three with the, with people. But do they need to come in every day? No. And I would that's changed in my mindset. I wouldn't have been as flexible, you know, 
a year ago. Now I actually think um, that's made a difference. Plus I've actually become more flexible with their time. You know, during COVID, they've they've told me, oh my gosh, I've saved this amount of money on tolls per day or, or before and after school care and other things. It's a huge amount of money. And I'm very passionate about that for particularly women in the workforce. It's a huge load that they bear and so some of that I went oh okay well if that was just to come in those extra days I and you're still working and I'm seeing the evidence of that then uh, I'm very happy for you to only come in two to three days a week and save that that money and then obviously you're not now working 10 till 2 you're, you're flexible and and they're very happy to do that and I know as a mum who's juggled degrees and children everywhere that that is possible you know particularly my educator she's very happy to be you know calling people after hours and they're actually home you know from work so we've now got flexible hours flexible days and a lot more understanding about the team and it, so I've seen it as a as a positive in a very strange way <laughs> <laughs> and for you, you the work that you do um, relies a, a lot around philanthropy or, or charity uh, and normally that's done through events so how have you pivoted the way that you uh, ensure that you have funding resources so that the organization can survive and that you can do the work that you need that that you really truly passionately want to do um, with glaucoma australia it's a real challenge and it's a challenge for absolutely every charity right so you want to you know we want to give free resources so we give free education and support to those in need and then you have to then have an infrastructure that that has this revenue coming in so obviously uh, bequests has been our biggest sort of model from uh, from the past glaucoma australia has been going for 30 years and so we have an incredible um, support from people who have bequested money to us and that we're very grateful for that and so we will also be improving that bequest program uh, this year because obviously although something has been good in the past is it sustainable is it ongoing we've also then had donations and that's been a real change for me because we've grown so much so we've gone from 300 referrals a year to six and a half thousand in the last couple of years and so we now basically one wonderfully give more support and education to people in need but we also in essence give away more free stuff right and therefore how are we going to fund that how do we fund the printing of all those extra brochures and the support and the people who need to reach them and so traditionally our donation model had been with people who've got an old-fashioned newsletter and they were the people who then sent back money right and so I actually had a real conscious of I don't want to be asking these poor older pensioners every quarter to give more money as donations you know I'd rather say once a year if you can help us or once for operations and once for research but um, we also now have six and a half thousand people who have received free education and support and so now we've got an online giving program and that's been newly implemented and that's actually done very well so we don't ask them up front but they've also so we also then have to be confident that we've given such good service that they're happy to then donate back when able. We also have now um, engaged more high-profile um, patron and ambassador. So I was very fortunate to secure the Governor-General of Australia as our patron uh, last year, and that's massively increased our profile and opportunities to work with him um, at different events and through social. Uh, we were also fortunate to get Kirk Pengelly from InXS, who has glaucoma. And so he's an ambassador. He's been absolutely fantastic. He was diagnosed at 29 
find so unusual for glaucoma. But his story and his profile, it went from us having, you know, that small charity um, opportunity to extend our reach to a massive, you know, glaucoma week, he reached, you know, 12 million Australians just due to his social media alone. And so that then results with more people seeing your message and therefore more people potentially donating. And then there's workplace giving programs, um, there's there's events and so forth. We traditionally had, um, you know, events of, you know, coffee afternoons or breakfasts and bits and pieces you know for me I'd rather I want things that will engage people I'd rather say you create your own event own event so it makes sense for you and then part of that is obviously a bit of giving but the main focus for those sorts of things with our members is actually for them to tell tell their families because glaucoma has a family risk so I'd, I'd be more excited that they told their families to get tested and so that they save sight to be honest. So we do have to be really, um, that's part of when you have a mindset of I'm wanting to make a difference and I'm, and I'm all about the people or the patients or who you serve, that the realities of being a CEO are, well, you know, it's not going to magically happen. You know, we have to make these budgets often on a faith model. You know, the money hasn't come in yet. And so how do we provide all of those services? And then um, then we have to guarantee that we have those that revenue coming in. And so I think we're becoming a lot more creative in how we're doing that. And then we also have to partner up with the right people who are on song with our message who can help us in doing that. And that's greatly affected the strategy changes that we've had in the last couple of years that we do what we can from a head office and then we use people who can extend our reach. And then we go to another level of people People in the eye health space, for example, who are doing their own thing, but we can capitalise on that as well. And so um, becoming, you know, I'm part of Vision 2020, for example, there's a whole network of people who are out there serving people in their own way with a slightly different part of the eye, for example. And so we actually, I'm a big fan of collaboration. You know, we're not competing with each other. We're actually, we should be collaborating and seeing where the synergies are. And uh, because there's a lot of opportunities there to help each other, refer to each other, you know, and I think with that mindset, um, better things happen than always protecting your turf. I remember, you know, years ago, it was a lot more defensive about, you know, what are your competitors doing and being a lot more protective, you know, which I think is really sad. I think there's so much value in in actually collaborating and, and encouraging each other and supporting each other. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. So, you know, it's, it's a challenging space, but you're adapting and which is a, a great um, characteristic of a leader as well. And it's a beautiful to see that. Now, talking about adapting, you know, obviously you've had such, you can never have one thing on the go in your life. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so 2016, you become an entrepreneur. Uh, you, you start working as a transformational uh, specialist and you come up with the name Lipstick Consulting. How did that mm-hmm. come about and then what's involved? It came about in a really crazy random way, actually, because I'm not actually one of those glitzy lipstick kind of girls, which is quite funny. But the scenario was that I had been a CEO for a number of years then and I was a lot more confident in that space. And I suddenly realized that other women in business were reaching out for me for mentoring, coaching and so forth. How did you do it? You know, how did you juggle all these kids and do the degrees? And now you're a CEO. And then I started presenting at different events. And so my profile was rising. So I wanted to then go, oh, the next part of my journey is 
to start a business and become an entrepreneur. And then I also was at that stage of my youngest child was finishing school and went, oh, okay, time, a little bit of time for me to rejig who I am and what, what do I actually want to achieve and how do I want to continue growing? And so James and I went on a, on a trip, actually. I'd got into hiking and so I never had this opportunity when I had all those kids everywhere, but I, I really love the outdoors and the freshness and the, and, and the healthy um, lifestyle that it brings me and also the people who do that are generally healthy and positive people as well so I started um, joining check trekking groups and I did a few charity walks and um, and that that allowed me to raise money for Fred Hollows Foundation and Beyond Blue and McGrath Foundation and other other groups and I love that sort of change in me to go oh I'm re I'm entering this next phase of my life to give back and that felt really good there's things that I can do and so I want I, I was enjoying that journey and starting to raise more money through my my walks and hikes and then James and I then went to Nepal and we did the Everest base camp and the three high passes so we're suddenly on this 21 day hike in such you know up to 6,000 meter altitude and and I remember being um I was thinking about my business for the whole trip and then I was we're right up the top and um, we were going to some, you know, it was a big, it was freezing and we would go out to this little mess tent to eat. And then I ran back to the tent. He goes, what on earth are you doing? I said, I've got to put on my lipstick. And he looked at me as every gorgeous husband does and goes, darling, you don't need it. No one's going to notice. You already look like you haven't had a shower for two weeks. And I went, I know, but it actually makes me feel better. And it was this moment of, I don't need to be doing things for other people. I know I don't look great at this stage, but for me, it was just this, what's the one little thing that represents at that moment to put your lipstick on and so I came back and I thought about it the whole trip and I went I'm calling my business lipstick consulting not for the lipstick for me now in my mentoring program I, I say to people what's your lipstick so if their lipstick might be I need to put some confidence on I'm doing some pitch I need to practice I need an encouragement I need a support person I need honest feedback I need someone to look at this strategy and and say how can I progress it your lipstick is what makes you at any time in your life once you start getting that thinking of well what can you do with that and so that's then morphed into you know a few years later I then started um, um, growing that business as well, obviously, and I've now got online um, mentoring, coaching programs and offer a massive 12-month program with 16 modules. It's quite comprehensive. And then I call that program Magic Transformation. So I left, you know, so my business is still called Lipstick Consulting, but I actually then had, I surveyed, I asked people who'd received my services and I said, well, what do I actually do for you? And there was this unanimous, Annie, you just make magic happen. You make the impossible seem possible. You actually believe in it. You believe in the vision is achievable. You believe in me. And so you help me make magic happen. So that's where the magic transformation came from. And uh, so it's pretty cool. So I just, yeah, I feel a bit like a fairy godmother. But I also love that mindset because now I do go things are possible. Like, so for example, the getting the governor general to be the patron. I remember when I told my board and I said, I'm going to ask the governor general to be patron. And one of the uh, board members said to me, Annie, that's not likely. We're only a little charity. And I said, well, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because you think you're a little charity, then it's not possible. But if I actually think I'm running BHP here, <laughs> you know, like I think I want to know every day that I'm doing my best best effort if it was an incredible massive corporate. And so I'm going to just tell him, dear sir, do you want to help me save sight? 
why wouldn't you want to help me partner with me to to achieve this mission? And he came back and said, I'm delighted by your enthusiasm and I'd love to help you with that. And then I went, well, that's it. And it was symbolic of, yeah, have a positive mindset, have a growth mindset, believe that things are possible. So Lipstick Consulting allows me to do that. I now get to speak at events. Um, I get to mentor and coach women as well as do my Glaucoma Australia job. And I actually love it. And because I had four kids in two years, I'm like army trained, you know, I, I'm very efficient. <laughs> so people then go, well, how do you do it? And I'm like, oh, compared to all of that previous life, I still feel like I've got time. Uh, so I make flexible hours and uh, yeah, and I, I just love it. It actually allows me to to do a few things you know it allows me to continue the work running a charity uh, to mentor and coach other women in business on the side and it also allows me to now I've just joined the board of MRKH uh, which is a um, disease that affects women who are born without uh, a uterus and can't then have children and so it allows me to then raise money now to the board that I'm on I'm wanting to integrate that you know if someone bought my book they could also donate to my charity or if they came on my podcast I've got a podcast called memoirs of successful women and so they could also you know donate towards my charity so it allows me to sort of do what I love plus um also give back to other people. And I find that a real joy for me. So the curiosity is, is really shining through and you've got a new book coming out called Becoming Annie, the biography of a curious woman. What is the reason behind writing your latest book? Hmm. The reason is um, quite unusual and it's quite personal. So, um, I got to a stage where I was, you know, part of my journey of, you know, who am I becoming? And now I'm sharing a lot with people that I mentor and coach and they all want to know your journey and what's motivated you. And and one of the classic questions is, why are you so passionate about women and supporting women? And, and a lot of that framework was through stories in my life that had happened to me that I didn't feel supported. I didn't feel empowered. I didn't feel valued. Um, and so, and I, I feel like I did it the hard way. You know, I often sort of say, you know, wouldn't it be great if I was a man back in those times, I could have just done an MBA and gone straight into business and bits and pieces. And um, and it's not that I'm not happy with my life. I've actually enjoyed, you know, the journey that I've had and the learning and all the people. I've done it in a very unusual, unorthodox way, but no regrets there. But it was it's really interesting. I'm 52 now. So to unpack all the parts of my life that have greatly influenced who I have become, and we're all becoming, you know, someone and to have um, a solid understanding of that. So I wanted to unpack it myself. I didn't want to write an autobiography because I felt that it would be a distorted perspective on this is just who I see I am. So I actually found through LinkedIn this amazing um, international best-selling author who was really excited to write my story and um, and so, you know, it covers a whole lot of things. I had grandparents from different countries and, and um, I'm parents being immigrants. Um, I was sexually assaulted a couple of times as a as a young girl. And so there were battles and then battling, you know, becoming a mom at an early age and then having four kids in two years and then and doing the challenging. I remember going for interviews with 20 men in a room and me coming for interview feeling, why did I even bother? You know, I've had these moments that I think were really interesting to unpack and my what's driven my passion now to to empower women to actually really push on and, and to make 
changes happen and they are happening and it's really positive and it's not anti-male at all it's actually just um, looking at um, women's empowerment and equality and so the book came about that it's it's suddenly at the finishing touches it's just um, yeah it's coming out in two weeks it's really exciting and I've had a lot of interest I think it's the right time of my life because it's interesting as a leader too I'm not a competitor to young women I'm not saying oh it's you know it's really easy I'm actually saying you know there are many challenges and we're all on a journey we're all becoming who we want to be and sometimes that takes a long time to actually identify with because you've been a bit too busy you know and I'm the first one to say that you know I was so stuck in you know that stage of grazing the kids and doing everything for them whatever I didn't actually for probably a good decade there even really think gee what's my self-care needs what's my health needs you know I was just so busy doing whereas as we get older it's just nice to be and to feel comfortable in who we are you know and so many many themes will come out through women reading this biography that they'll identify with they'll identify with that yeah who am I what's my purpose um, what challenges do I have we've all got different challenges whether it's its backgrounds whether it's incidents that have happened whether it's career choices and uh, and that's life so it's a story of a very very curious woman but it's also a very honest story which I think um, women will resonate with in many ways and hopefully the aim is that it encourages there's nothing worse than uh people who make it all sound too too great you know and I'm the I'm I'm one you know even when you introduce me you know super mom you know am I you know like every everyone is doing their own thing and yes I have achieved a lot and I've pushed myself really hard and possibly too hard at times you know did I have to do everything um and a lot of that was because if they said I didn't have the potential I'm going to prove them wrong and different things motivate different people some of it I look back and go oh my gosh you should have given yourself a break you should have actually enjoyed the moment more and I'm encouraging women to do that now so there's learnings with all of all of us um, what is the right balance I think part of my my program is all balanced is on success balance and happiness and that's what you know this biography is about this is what my magic transformation is about this is what my leadership is like as a CEO now how do we get success for what it means for us for us personally for our business uh, for our family situation what does success look like and then how do we then stay balanced you know in our life because we have got business and life and some of us pour too much into business and then at the end of the day are we happy are we actually planted in the right space? And that's where I'm delighted now that I, I know I'm in the right space. I know that I love the jobs that I do and therefore it energises me. It gives me more capacity to, to do what I want to achieve, but it also allows me to give back more if I, as opposed to if I wasn't in that right space and I was just doing my job, you know. So I feel blessed and I feel um, that uh, I have, yeah, a lot to share and I enjoy it. It's, it is my joy. So your book is coming out and how can people f um, purchase the book? How can they find out more about it? Yeah, so it is launching on the 31st of July, 2020. So only a couple of weeks away and then it will be pretty much in all bookshops. It'll be on Amazon, Kindle, 
everywhere. So it is uh, by an international best-selling author. Her name is Dawn Bates. And so her profile, I'm already uh, on podcasts, you know, globally about the book. It's going to be quite a big thing. And so, yeah, so all you need to do is just search it on, on Amazon or Kindle or go into your bookstore and ask for Becoming Annie, a biography of a curious woman. Ah, beautiful. So we all know smart people have great answers, but the most successful people ask great questions. Mm. When was the last time you did something for the first time? <laughs> I've done a lot of firsts lately um, making this book. So I've just had an incredible journey of book covers, for example. So doing something that's not your area. I think it's really easy to do things. You know, if I if, if as a CEO in my business, I'm very comfortable about those things. And I've suddenly had this, okay, you've got a biography written about you. What would be the picture on the colour? What are the colours? What are the psychology of colours? Fonts, this whole world of someone else else's business this social media digital marketing which I had no idea of and it's been an incredible learning journey so for me it's like oh okay I'm going to do something totally different I could have just gone and said oh you choose you do it it's your area but because I'm Annie <laughs> I went and said no I do want to be part of it I then went and was really brave I went out to social media I went to business Facebook groups and LinkedIn and I showed them here's four potential covers what do you think what what would you choose if you're in a bookshop which one would you pick up and why and I learned so much I learned that people are really passionate about their ideas so some are like definitely number one it's no choice or definitely number four what are you thinking um, so very um, confident in their choices others um, very much about the the psychology behind it and, and so it showed me you know, that mindset of we're all looking through our own prism, right? Our own eyes of what we see and what motivates us and what what leads us in certain ways. So it gave me an incredible increased awareness, um, which was a really good reminder of how different people are, why they choose what they choose and how they see things completely different. So do you judge a book by its cover? Uh, apparently, yes. <laughs> which is a little bit sad. It took 230 or something feedbacks before someone asked me what is the book actually about. So I thought that was a bit concerning. But anyway, I've ended up getting uh, the cover that it was really interesting experience. So I put it out to market and put it to everybody. And then I got the cover and then I looked in my wardrobe and I actually have my favorite dress is pretty much that color. Brilliant. So it has obviously tapped in on this journey, my, my essence which you want. You don't want to be a product of someone else's. And I'm very passionate about that. But the fine tuning and the and the fonts and other things that I don't really care about. I've trusted the experts. And uh, yeah, it's been a good learning curve and fun. <laughs> what is the one question that you would love to solve? Oh, that's a really hard one. Um, I'd like to solve the question of why why does the government not value 
women in the, women in the workforce to be able to support you to be able to achieve your very very best you know i still look at this the system of support and i look in other countries like scandinavia that they have free child care and they really they value education and they value parenting and so you know probably because i have been a mum of five and i i actually have had pretty good support systems but it's still been really hard it's an incredible financial burden um being able to have that child care so that you can get those jobs and I and I meet people day in day out that that really struggle with that they're women who know they have their they're curious like me they're sitting back there going I think I had this potential but they just don't go oh well maybe I could be that next level up next level up for themselves and that's really important and so I think that some some are disadvantaged greatly because of the expenses that it requires the practicalities of actually just doing life so the question I would be not for myself it's to government of how can we how can we actually um, particularly post-COVID I think we've seen families struggle we've seen families now homeschooling realizing the challenges we've we've now suddenly parents are now looking at the money they're saving with before and after school care and it's affecting the way that they look at at their work and what they value and so forth so I think it's a really good time to say to you know Mr Morrison <laughs> um, what my question is how are we going to support working families better to bring out the best in them which then brings out the best in society for you what is your definition of living an extraordinary life I think it's by following your heart and your passion and committing. So for me, I think everyone, everyone has the opportunity to be extraordinary, but you don't have to be extraordinary in every way, right? I think there's a delusion that, oh, everyone, you know, that person is amazing and they're supposed to be amazing about everything. They're not. People, I think there's great value in just finding what you do and how you do it well and if you love it and if you if you follow that path like I've followed in my journey and it's been a challenging way to do it but I now go you know I I think what I am achieving is extraordinary it's not average it is extraordinary but it's because um, I've put out the certain efforts that I value the the I, I realized that extra education was going to help me achieve that goal I put in extra effort with our kids in certain specific ways because of their special needs I've 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 realized the value of collaboration and now that's really helped me because I've got, you know, tens of thousands of, of networks and that helps me in my life and my business and the things that I want to achieve. And so I think being extraordinary is about saying, you know, pick two or three things and go, well, what, what will that, you know, if I really focus, if I have clarity, simplicity and focus on those things, how will that therefore make me overall a better human being? Uh, and being able to, you know, grow in myself and give back to others. I think that's what being extraordinary is about, you know. But are you good at everything? No, you know, I don't like dotting all the I's. I'm quite happy to outsource certain things. <laughs> you know, you don't have to be amazing at everything. You know, I'll have people go, yep, we've got takeaway, didn't even make a home-cooked dinner for different people because I've had a really busy day. And that's okay, you know. In the, in the workplace, you know, let's, you know, I think sometimes we have too much on our agenda and it spreads people too thin and then it gets over 
over exhausting how can we do what we want to do in an achievable way which requires you know really scoping our projects making sure that we've got the resources to be able to do them so i think in business and life that for me is is about saying yeah you can be extraordinary but choose what you want to be an extraordinary in and be kind to yourself as you do that mm. Lots of great lessons here today. So how can people learn more about what you do and what is the best way for people to connect with you? Yeah. Well, two ways. Obviously, if you have glaucoma, go to glaucoma.org.au because I'd love to see you and help you uh, save as much vision as possible. If you're looking for mentoring, coaching, more information about my book, my program, speaking at events and so forth, just go to anniegibbons.com and you'll be able to just send me an email, find out a little bit about me and my program. And uh, yeah, I'd love to connect. I'm on all of social. Find me on LinkedIn and uh, I'll always reply to you. Yeah, so we'll put those in the show notes, everyone, so they can uh, find them easily. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today, Annie. I really enjoyed getting a deeper understanding of what makes you the leader you are and you know, can really feel that curiosity shine through uh, throughout and just your dedication, your passion, your, your, for you figuring out how can I go around what sort of obstacles might go in front of you or how do I get over it and how can I ensure that we are making a difference to whoever you connect with and who you're involved with um, is it really inspiring and I, I look forward to seeing the book when it does get released in the next week or two and I wish you all the success uh, with the book and, and hopefully it becomes a, a bestseller and so thank you very much for your time today. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed that conversation. Thank you for listening to an amazing conversation with Annie Gibbons, biography of a curious woman on the Active CEO podcast. It's so easy in life to make things complex, but it's very difficult to make things simple. When you look at something that is sophisticated, it has an elegance and a sleekness to it. It's quite simple in nature, but has a real beauty to it. It's important that we focus on simplicity in what we do. The simpler we make something, the easier it is for understand, and the less barriers there are for people to connect with it, to make a behavioral change to understand. The more complex we make it, the easier we allow people to disassociate and think it's just too much for me. Remember, simplicity is sophistication. I'll say that one more time. Simplicity is sophistication. We need to make sure we are making sense for both ourselves and other people in a world that is very complex. How can you simplify to one idea, one reason, one piece of evidence, one call to action, one decision? Make it easy for people then they'll be able to follow you. Then they'll be able to take the action that you're looking for. 
If you need some support in simplifying the work that you do or the ideas that you have or the message you want to share, then please contact me at craig at nrg2perform.com or click on the contact page of www.craigjohns.com.au website. Thank you very much for listening. I'm Craig Johns. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where ordinary don't belong. Join the Active CEO movement by visiting www.nrgtoperform.com. That's nrg2perform.com. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to tag in NRG to Perform. Leave a review on iTunes. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the NRG to Perform Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong.